Good evening, everybody. Um, so, as as Pierre, my name is Dinda, and uh, as Pierre mentioned, this is the last in our series of what we talk about when we talk about God, and um, the one I'm going to be talking about is God as event. <clears throat> and um, I just at this point want to remind you that. We did this series because Pierre and myself and Nick was introduced to a podcast by Rob Bell. Um, it's called the Robcast, and um, <laughs> he was. Uh, it was. It was uh, uh, four episodes. Episode triple one to episode one one four, and um, it was a dialogue between himself and a guy by the name of Pete Rowlands. And um, Pete Rowlands is from the Northern Ireland, and he's a writer and a public speaker, but he's also a philosopher. And he also says he's a theologian, but they say he's a theologian in the radical theology. And um, I really want to challenge you. Tonight our series finishes, but I need you to go and listen to the Robcast, episode 111 to episode 114. Now, I've been listening to it since November. And I promise you, I've listened to each episode more than 10 times. And every time you listen to it, there's something new that drops. All right. And that is why Pierce said, you know, it's, 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 it's hectic. You know, it, 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 it really challenges one. It's very dense. There's a lot of information there. So I really want to challenge you. After tonight, close the loop and go and listen to, to what they said. And you'll hear a lot of the things that they said, we gave it to you from our side and our thinking. So the fourth theme tonight is God as event. Um, And it seems quite self-explanatory, am I right? Um, What we talk about when we talk about God, there's an event that happens and that's where we find God. Now, before I start diving into God as event, I want to explain to you two Concepts. I sort of want to unpack it first before we go into God as event. And both of these concepts um, was brought forward by a guy by the name of Jacques Lacan. Now, it's a French guy, and you spell his name L-A-C-A-N. That's the next slide, if you can go there. Jacques Lacan. But obviously, I googled his name on Google Translate, clicked the button of... of (laughs) How do you pronounce? There we go. All right, so Jacques Lacan was born in 1901 and he lived until 1981. But he was what you would call a psychoanalyst. And um, he was seen as one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. And he made extremely useful additions to our understanding of ourselves. That was Jacques Lacan. And the first concept that he brought to the table, um, and they said he developed this, I don't know if he developed it over 27 seminars or he developed it over 27 years of seminars, but uh, it's three words that he brought forward. (laughs) Something there was 27, yeah. Um, There was three words that he put down, um, and these words is to describe what it means to be human. And the three words is imaginary, symbolic, and real. So what do we talk about when we talk about God? Or, you know, how do we understand ourselves? These three words, I want to explain to you that we can 
move deeper and closer to God as event. And the way that we can explain this is by referring to a fairy tale. All right, so if we think about a fairy tale, what's the basic fairy tales? A young man that's a prince has to slay the dragon, and then we live happily ever after. Okay, that's the fairy tale. Or a princess gets cursed, she's asleep for a hundred years, and she can only awake when the son of a king kisses her. All right, so that's your basic fairy tales. So the imaginary speaks of that image to which we aspire. Okay. And in the modern terms, gentlemen, I think you can ID with this a lot, is James Bond, all right? Or Jason Bourne for the, for the younger generation, I would say. Um, you feel a bit weak and you aspire to be that image, that hero, that guy that can use a pen and kill five people in one shot, you know, that type of thing, all right? Uh-huh. Deadpool, love Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool is my favorite. <laughs> no, Deadpool. <laughs> or it's that, if you think of high school, these of you that's been in high school very recently, it's that cool kid that surrounds him or herself with the posse, okay? And they live up to the image of this kid. All right. Or... Um, all of your romantic comedies, <laughs> okay? Every romantic comedy. Girl is lost, girl finds handsome man, girl saves her, end of story, all right? So it's the image to which you aspire. And when Nick kicked off the series, um, he talked about God as super being. And um, so the imaginary usually plays into this, as God as super being, because our gods are usually idolized images of ourselves. Remember what Nick said. If you think that this is what you aspire to, you see your God as ten times that. All right. So the symbolic plays into God as super being. The second word is symbolic. Now, the symbolic is that structure which underlies the image. I'm taking you back to the fairy tale. Okay. So the prince has to slay the dragon. And so that underlying structure of that is there's evil in the world, the good must come, and they must kill the evil, and we must win, the good must win. So that is a symbolic that underlies the imaginary, the fairy tale, okay? So the symbolic justifies what you think is good and bad. I'm going to repeat myself here. So the symbolic in your life, it justifies what is good for you in life and what is bad for you in life. All right. Now, God is used to justify our morality and our beliefs. Okay? So I just said to you what the symbolic does. It justifies your good and your bad. And God is usually used in your life to justify your morality and and your beliefs. And the best example I can give you about this is God bless America. All right. And now if you think of the run-up to the elections of the president, I know, breathe deep here. <laughs> if you think of it, if the, the Democrats stood in front of the crowd, they would say, the LGBTI community, we love you, you are part of us. 
yada, 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 right in the end, God bless America. Woo! And everybody's hands go up and they are amazed. The Republican stands in front of his crowd. We're going to build a wall. We're going to keep the bad people out. The drugs are going to be out. Yada, 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 yada. God bless America. Woo! All right. So God is used to justify our morality and our beliefs. So the symbolic, therefore, plays into God as hyper-being. And that was the teaching that Pierre gave us about two weeks ago, um, if you can remember that. All right. Okay, you got that. Hold on. Okay. But if we take the symbolic one step further, um, your belief can develop into what we call an ultimate concern. So ultimate concern is... It gives meaning to your life. It gives amazing meaning to your life. You would live and you would literally die for this ultimate concern. Above and beyond yourself, you would live and die for that. All right. And this plays into Nick's teaching of last week um, of God as ground of being. Okay, so those two words already now took you back to our teachings. Imaginary plays into the super being. Symbolic plays into the hyper-being, and if you take it a step further, God is ground of being. All right. Now, the third term, the real. Go back to the fairy tale. The real is not in the fairy tale at all, but it challenges the symbolic structure of the fairy tale. I'm going to say it again. It's not in the fairy tale at all, but it challenges the symbolic structure, that symbolic structure that underlies the story. So the prince slays the dragon, good over evil. And the real, after this fairy tale has been told, will say, seriously? Is the world really as simple as that? Okay. The princess goes into a curse. She sleeps a hundred years. All right. Prince comes, kisses her, she wakes up. The real would say, seriously, is this for real? And at this point, I actually want to quickly tell you about a, a friend I've got. Now, she also, like all of us in high school, fell in love, fell out of love. Her idea was she's going to get married around 23, 24. She's going to get a kid around 27, 28. And picket fences, and there we go. And life turned out differently. And when she was about 29, 30, she still had the, the urge and the, the, the big need in her to have a child. So she adopted a little girl. All right. So her real was there. She experienced some real. But what is so interesting of her is when, at night, when she puts her baby to bed, now the the little girl is about five or six at this stage. She tells her the fairy tale of the princess and the curse and the king and the king's son that comes to kiss her and she wakes up. But then my friend doesn't stop there. She ends the fairy tale like this. And then, my dear, she finished high school and she went to university and she became a nurse. End of story. Wonderful, hey? Sleep tight. All right. So you can see her real 
or rather her imaginary and her symbolic, has changed, her life has changed that to what she now empowers her little daughter to do. So that is how the real kicked in with my friend. So the real challenges are ways of how we construct and understand our worlds. Seriously? Okay, I construct my world like this and I believe it like this and real comes and it goes, ah. So the real ruptures our ideal images of ourselves. My friend thought she's going to be married, picket fence. The real came and it ruptured it. She's got a different fairy tale at this stage. So it ruptures your ideal image of yourself. So where does the real confront us in the now, in the modern times? It confronts us in a carefully curated, airbrushed, photoshopped images on our social media profiles. It's that comment on your Facebook that comes in and it offends you. It's that tweet that goes out and you think, what the hell is this? All right. So that's where the real comes in because you've got this wonderfully airbrushed, constructed image of yourself and a tweet or a comment comes in and offends you. That's where the real comes in. And maybe that offensive tweet or that offensive comment is that thing saying to you, seriously? Seriously? Is that your way of understanding and believing in the world? So that is the real. All right. So Lacan gave us three, these three words to understand ourselves as humans, and I linked it for you to the God as super, hyper, ground of being, and event. All right. The second concept that Lacan also brought to the table that I need to unpack for you before I go into God as event is um, that in, the, in 1975-76, he actually developed, thank you so much, a term. He actually thought this out. And you say it satum, all right? But it's a French word, satum. And it is the Latin way of spelling the Greek origin of the French word Symptom, meaning symptom. <laughs> okay, I just had to write that down and read it. I'll never remember that. All right. But for Lacoum, Lacoum, yes, uh, Jacques Lacoum, the word symptom also showed to him to the word holy man. And in the Bible, a holy man is usually a prophet. Now, you know, every time I teach here and I talk about prophets, I always say, Guys, remember, prophets, Old Testament, it's that guy, it's that person that sits there and the Lord comes and says to him, Oi, the community you're living in, something is wrong here. Please tell them if they keep on going like this, there's a disaster coming to them. If they stop doing like this, they will have a better life. And that was a prophet's whole purpose in the, in the time of the Old Testament. But now... Prophets slash symptoms calls us then to better lives. And, how, and, and if I can explain to you that, a symptom is usually something that you don't speak about, but it speaks for you. 
Say, for instance, you've got this horrible boss, and he is on your head at work, and he, he does, just doesn't treat you well, but you know if you, if you say something to this person, it's not going to go down well. You're going to lose a job. But you go home, and you are irritated and aggressive and argumentative with your spouse or your partner. So that's the symptom you're seeing, but it, the origin there is the boss that's not good. So if you don't listen to the symptom, you're going to stick to that job. You're going to be unhappy, and you're going to have a very challenging home life. But if you listen to the symptom, you can change, and there can be a better life. So that's what the symptom needs. All right. So I've given you now these two concepts, symptom, profit, all right? And I've given you the three words where the word real, I want you to hold on to that. And that brings me to God as an event. And the best illustration of God as an event we'll find in the Bible. All right, so if there's a Bible close to you, please open it. The Bible is the best to open up. But the next slide, it is there. But in Acts 9, is um, some context there. We are busy reading about a super Jew. I call him a super Jew. Um, Rob, <laughs> Rob Bell also calls him a super Jew. Now, at this stage, his name is Saul. Okay. And Saul, um, he has a carefully constructed world, okay, uh, that he has, that at this stage is being turned upside down by the followers of Jesus. All right, so that's the, the time in which Saul actually finds him now. And when we read in Acts 9, I'm just going to first read verse 1 to 2. I was just staying closer. All right, let's read it. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Okay, murderous thoughts. So he's, his whole constructed world is upside down. That what he believes in is being disrupted and raptured by these followers of Jesus. Okay, so he wants Letters that he, if he finds them, he can then take them in. All right. Now, I'm going to repeat myself on symptoms again. Symptoms slash prophets is when something you cannot speak speaks for you. So, Saul was busy imprisoning and seeing that these followers of Jesus are killed. He saw them as disruptive to this Jewish culture and he just wanted normality to return. But actually, Saul was ignoring the symptoms slash prophets. And in this case, it was the followers of Jesus that were the symptoms and the prophets. And he ignored that to call him to a better life. All right, we move to verse 3. If you can just give us the next slide. Verse 3 and 4. Look how he gets confronted with the real. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And I think if some of us sitting here now, understanding the real, wrote this over in the message, we would have written there, seriously, Saul? (laughs) All right, and you know now what happened after this. He was blinded. Three days, someone had to take him to Damascus. Prophet, uh, a follower of Jesus, Ananias, had to go to Paul and tell him, you are the guy that's going to spread the word to the Gentiles and to Israel. And people, that is God as an event. So Saul's whole world, his well-constructed world, and how he understood the world was challenged. And the experience was what we call a a, a reformative event. God is an event, is a reformative event. And I think while you're sitting here now thinking of, of Saul, Paul's story, you're thinking of some of your reformative events that might have happened in your life. You thought this way, something happened, and this happened to you. So those events caused that in an instant, the way in which you viewed the world changes completely. Completely. So we can say absolutely nothing has changed, yet absolutely nothing remains the same. I'm going to say this again. God is an event. It's when absolutely nothing has changed around you, but absolutely nothing remains the same inside of you. And you do not treat people the same anymore after an event, after a reformative event. And that is Paul's gods as an event. So he radically changes, obviously, from killing and prosecuting uh, the followers of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus and spreading the word and writing one of the most wonderful things for us to grow in and and be taught. But at this point, I also just want to mentioned something before I carry on further with God as an event. And it's where Peter Rowlands in the podcast refers to another French philosopher called Simone Weil. Now she lived in the 20s, 30s, and she died in 1940s. And she introduced us to a concept called gravity and grace. Now in the podcast, um, I don't think one of the two gens have tattoos, but one of them said if ever he gets a tattoo, he would get gravity and grace on his, he would tattoo that on his body. So what did she mean by gravity and grace? She says the world is gravity. Now what she meant by this is the world has natural laws. Things fall to the ground, planets revolve, all right, it's natural, natural laws. But also we are in a world where affliction is paid with affliction. Hatred is paid back with hatred. War is paid back with war. And to Simone Vale, this was part of the natural laws. So her, her gravity, apart from things just falling to the ground, planets rotating, this was for her natural law, hatred with hatred, gra- um, um, war with war. But, she said, there is another reality which is called grace. There is another reality which is called grace. 
And grace is not, diff- uh, is not a different world. Grace is not a different world. Grace is something that is peppered in gravity. And I thought that was beautiful. Grace is something that is peppered in gravity. And, and, and it, it stops us from repaying violence with violence. It, it changes us to pay violence with peace. It stops us of paying hatred with hatred and rather paying hatred with love. And, and it just shows us that our universe is not one-dimensional, but it calls us to be a better selves, to be a better you, gravity and grace. And why I mention this now after Paul's story is now you can understand when you read Paul's works in the Bible, it is peppered with grace. All his teachings, go and read. It's full of teachings on grace. So Paul got it. There's gravity and there's grace. So, it is wonderful to experience a transformative event. And I, pr- and I know each one of you have. That's maybe why you're sitting here tonight. It maybe was one of those life-changing things. But you know me, I always caution you guys. All right. If you refer to your transformative event as, you know, 10 years ago this happened to me and it changed my life. You sound like one of my clients. I, uh, I'm a bikineticist and I get these clients that sit in front of me and they always say to me, no, Sasiki, 20 years ago I was in the army, I had a six-pack, I was very fit. All right. And then what you see in front of you is... is <laughs> It's a cooler bag. It's a cooler bag. And he just refers back to his glory days constantly, but nothing happened since 20 years up until now. And I don't want you to be one of those glory days people. I need you to be saying, I am reforming daily. Don't say, I have reformed, because it means that you're not open to the pokes and the prods of the real. You must be constantly reforming. You must be a Christian that says, I was born again and again and again and again and again and again. And that is why I chose the picture there of the, the mirror reflecting over and over and over. Born again and again and again. And this is where Peter Rowlands said something very interesting in the podcast. And Rob Bell actually cracked up on this. But what Peter Rowlands did and in their church in Belfast, he, he began an evangelism project. Now, already in your mind, you think evangelism. Yes, yes, go out, cold knock on the doors, on the street, chat to people. But listen what, what, what they did. They were a church that was evangelized by other communities. So what did they do? They contacted the other religions in Belfast. So for instance, they would contact the Muslims. And they would say, and this happened once a month, they would go to the Muslim community and they would say, we just want to come and sit with you one night and we just want to learn. And then they would go there and they would sit. 
But now Peter Rowland said it had two parts, people, two parts. The first part, they would sit and they would say to the Muslims, tell us about your belief. Why do you believe it? You know, tell us about um, Islam and so forth. And they would just sit and they would listen. So it would be an informative session. But then the second part kicked in. And they asked the Muslims some of the following questions. How is it to live in Belfast as a Muslim? And they would listen. How, how is it just to live here in Belfast? And they would listen. How has the church responded to you as a Muslim? And then they would just listen. And at this point, this is where they would be evangelized. Because when they listened to how the Muslims perceived the church, they heard things that they might have a blind spot to. And here is where they were evangelized into better Christians. So that was how they were born again and again and again because they did this with the Jewish community, the Scientologists, any religious group they did this with. And that is how they kept it real, how the real prodded them and how God was the event over and over and over and they kept on reforming. So, um, The big thing is here that there must be daily reforming on your side. So obviously there's a challenge to you. Every Sunday sitting here in the chair is fantastic. All right. But once you get off this chair, are you reforming? Are you being born again? Is God an event in your life? And I want to challenge you. Start following people on Twitter that has nothing anything that you can identify with. Start following them. It's tough. Because they're going to say stuff there that you think, I can't anymore. Okay? Read those comments on your Facebook page that offend you. And go and meditate on it. And think about your well-constructed world and what you believe and why is this offending you. Yes, yeah, sure, there's idiots on Facebook. There is. But maybe that one guy that you want to unfriend, don't unfriend. Don't unfriend. Go and meditate. Maybe in that God is an event for you. Or go and pursue friendships that you would have thought you would have never had. And I have told this before, but I, I've got a friend that's an atheist. <coughs> He's a lecturer at Wits, and, and he knows I love Jesus. It's, I'm, not a, I'm not a secret agent when I pursue these, these friendships. They know who I am. They know where, what I stand for. And when I talk about uh, I, I was giving Sunday school class 10 years ago to boys, and I would just relate some stories to him, he would roll his eyes constantly, you know, like, oh, oh. and I said, keep on rolling your eyes. I don't care, you know. 
but I never try to evangelize him. But what he does is when I teach here, I send my podcast to him. He's a lecturer, and I'm not, my first language is not English. So I'm asking him just to please crit me on my, on, on my teaching. And he does that. And then the questions evolves out of that. He's like, what the hell is a Levi? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's that person that, uh, you know, when Israel went into to the army, um, it would be the guys playing in front with the instruments, you know. And he goes, is it like Mad Max, that guy in front of the truck with a guitar? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Yes, you've got it. And then the conversation literally stops there. I'm not trying to evangelize. And I said to him, please, I don't want to save you. You know, I don't think there's a place for you in, in heaven. We make jokes like that. But anyway, um, but I pursue this friendship with him because I, I need it. I need it. I need to hear his, and, and we don't always talk. We, we talk about anything and everything. You understand, he loves soccer, uh, we, he loves Star Wars, he adores Star Wars, that's his gods. And we went and watched Star Wars together and he's seen the, the, he sees the Star Wars minimum five times when it comes out. Um, but it's just a friendship. I'm not trying to do anything and I'm just learning to love and to be a friend. And that's how I try and keep it real. And I don't always get it right, guys. I always tell you, nine out of ten times I never get it right. But that's how I get born again and again and again and again. So that is God as an event. Let's close our eyes. Lord, thank you so much that, that you are real. That you are the most authentic and Lord, thank you that you loved us first. And how we talk about God, when we talk about God, that there's something like God as an event. And Lord, please keep us open for the real in our lives. Open our ears. And Lord, help us that we can love better. Because that's what it's about. That we keep on keeping on being your hands and your feet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. There are, I think there's still coffee uh, to you. Yep. Thank you for making the coffee tonight, eh? We really appreciate it.